Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Mullaney with Senior Housing News. Randy Burry, president and CEO of the Evangelical Lutheran Good Samaritan Society, is looking forward to 2021 for one simple reason. It has to be better than 2020. Burry is optimistic about the prospects for a COVID-19 vaccine and gives tremendous credit to the organization's workers for all they've done during the pandemic. In our interview, he also describes the various ways that Good Sam has benefited from its 2019 affiliation with health system Sanford Health. Based in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Good Sam operates more than 380 locations across 24 states, making it one of the largest nonprofit senior living providers in the United States. Despite his optimism, Burry is also frank about the challenges facing Good Sam and the industry as a whole, including ongoing financial strains and the likelihood that occupancy will recover more slowly than some people may think and hope, not to mention the major task of restoring consumer trust and confidence. Before we get to my interview with Randy, I'd like to share a word from our sponsor, Investors Bank. Where can senior living facilities turn for capital in these challenging times? Investors Bank has the expertise and options you look for, like variable rate commercial lines of credit and term loans with flexible terms and competitive interest rates. Visit investorsbank.com forward slash SLL. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. And now my interview with Randy Burry, president and CEO of the Evangelical Lutheran Good Samaritan Society. Randy, thanks for joining the podcast. Well, thank you, Tim. I'm glad to be here. So we're looking ahead to 2021, and obviously 2020 has been a really, really challenging year. So let's uh, start by looking on the bright side. As you look ahead to the next 12 months, what are some things that you're most um, excited about or looking forward to? Well, I think I'm an optimist by nature. And so I I look ahead and first of all, I think, well, 21 can only be better. It's got to be better because we had so many curveballs in this current year. But Clearly, I think along with the rest of the the world, we're all excited about the vaccine. And, you know, I think we are going to potentially become, you know, one of the safest locations to be in America in a few months when as long as the prioritization stays the same and our our seniors get the vaccine first along with frontline healthcare workers, you know, our buildings will potentially become the safest places to be. And I think, you know, getting that message out and kind of overcoming some of the negative stories we've endured over the last year about outbreaks in long-term care and and in congregate living and and the, the impact of the virus in those settings and really taking a negative tone that's resulted in a decline in our census. I mean, we're down at least 8% or so in, in senior living. So we got to get consumer confidence back. We've, we've got to project that message that our buildings are safe. We've got the vaccine. Now, of course, that'll depend on getting the vaccine, and we're working hard to make sure the congregate living folks are included in that first rollout. Uh, you know, I've seen some different things on, you know, skilled nursing and assisted living, pretty much a, a sure bet, but we've got to make sure that the, the congregate living folks are in that as well so that they can have the same kind of confidence because, uh, you know, I think a lot of damage has been done to our industry that won't change overnight, you know, so... The stimulus dollars we've gotten in long-term care to help kind of bridge bridge the financial gap this year and some in 21 will be great. But what happens in 2022? If our census is still down, we still haven't recovered. There are no stimulus dollars. 
you know, that that would be a, a concern, I think, going forward, the long term impact of this. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned congregate living it being important for congregate living to also be prioritized for the vaccine. Are you thinking folks in independent living, affordable housing? Is that where your mind is at with that? Well, I've just heard, I'm just concerned that mm-hmm. I heard, you know, a few weeks ago, it seemed like there was no doubt that people in those settings were absolutely included. The committee met yesterday and there were reference to skilled nursing and assisted living, but I didn't see it spelled out as clearly as I would have liked that, you know, the congregate housing and the senior living, that that, that is definitely included. So we've just got to be diligent and, and we are as an organization working to make sure it is clearly spelled out that the people in those settings get the vaccine uh, right along with the skilled nursing and the assisted living. Because, you know, there's really, from a virus perspective, there's not much difference between skilled nursing and senior housing. I mean, in those two settings, both buildings are full of people, elderly people that many, many of them have comorbidities. The risk isn't that much different. And we have, so we call them different things and they're different settings, but the people living in those buildings are very share a lot of the same characteristics. And so we've got to be absolutely sure that that those that senior housing congregate housing group gets the vaccine right along with the the skilled and the assisted living. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. All right. So you already mentioned some of the the concerns you have, um, sort of ongoing financial duress if stimulus dollars go away. But what, as you look ahead to the next 12 months in particular, if you could enumerate just some of the top concerns that you have. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I bet if you replayed some of these articles, you know, from the last five years, the themes are so consistent and common. Certainly workforce is a big one for us. And that's another area where this virus has really, really hurt us because in a majority of our facilities today, we're doing twice a week testing even right now. And I mean, for a lot of these folks, this, the COVID fatigue is really a real thing in our buildings. And I, I give a tremendous amount of credit to our workforce for hanging in there with us and with the residents through this whole uh, episode. I mean, we've had buildings where there's significant outbreaks and among staff as well. And so all of a sudden you're short staffed and people are helping cover for each other. So we've lost some workers and I think getting them back and and retaining that workforce is huge. Now I will tell you, I think we come into it from a little different perspective than most because, you know, Good Samaritan Society about two years ago now merged with Sanford Health. I can't tell you how beneficial I believe that has been to us because Good Samaritan, just because of a, a smaller size and scope than Sanford, didn't have the uh, uh, some of the bench strength in things like IT and HR and, and uh, finance in those areas. So to integrate, I would say we kind of went from, in terms of workforce development, in terms of recruitment and talent acquisition, and having all the systems to monitor, you know, why people are saying yes to the job or why they're saying no, and all of those kind of backroom functions of a, of a highly tuned HR function, we were kind of a, a middle, probably a, a double A baseball club, you know, and now we're, now we're in the major leagues. I mean, now we've got access to tools, to talent, to the resources we need to really, I think, do a much better job of talent acquisition. And it's showing up even during a pandemic. We're still hiring as many or more people as we were a year ago. And so I, I think that couldn't have come at a better time and that that bench strength of the integration is helping us in many, many ways. So I'm really happy and, and optimistic about that piece of it. 
Right. That's really interesting when you mentioned that some of that, uh, the capabilities in HR are helping to be a little more analytical about workforce issues. I, I guess, are there any examples you can share of things you've learned um, or new approaches that you're taking to recruitment since that merger happened? Yeah, I think some of it is just, again, the bench strength and restructuring. So now we're, we're divided, basically, the company's divided into 10 regions. And so for each region of the country, the facilities within that region, we have a dedicated HR person to that region. And so their their sole job is to make sure that within that region, that region is getting what they need from HR. So they're constantly monitoring the number of applicants for positions and you know, job fairs and, and all of those things that go into a high functioning HR position where before it was a little less dedicated staff to that, to that function. And so we were able to take some of the tools from Sanford Health and apply those to Good Sam. And it's not that, it's not as if I don't want to paint a picture where Good Sam was doing something wrong or anything. Sometimes it is just size and scale do matter. If they really, I mean, we're moving the Good Samaritan staff and I don't mean this to be a, a, a commercial for Workday, but Workday's got a good solution, and we're moving all of Good Sam to Workday in a couple of weeks. To have access to that kind of a tool, Good Samaritan probably never would have done that on their own. They just wouldn't have had the size and scale to be able to do it. But Good Samaritan just kind of piggybacking onto what Sanford's already done with Workday, it makes it a viable option. And so, you know, I think the benefit of that of the uh, merger into Sanford, you know, is 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 proving very very beneficial. Great, you know, I'm struck about you're talking about the benefits of size and scale, and it's not like Good Sam was a small organization within senior living prior to the merger. It was one of the biggest nonprofits, I think. So I guess. I guess I'm thinking that this message just hammers home how the complexity of senior living has increased. And it sounds to me like, again, that theme that we've heard consistently over many years, but even the most, the largest and some of the most sophisticated providers in senior living are going to need to step up their game. And maybe that's through affiliations or mergers or other combinations in the coming years. And for us, for us too, I think the other benefits are things you, you, when you merge, you don't necessarily think of, and that's something like a global pandemic comes along. You know, we have a weekly incident command meeting that connects all entities of Sanford Health together at the same time on a video conference. So Good Samaritan, we find ourselves in a position with our chief medical officer, you know, Dr. Greg Johnson. He's at our table. But at the other tables are, because we're part of an acute care health system, We've got infectious disease physicians and all the chief medical officers from the hospital side, from the clinic side, that collective expertise and the ability to ask questions about, well, we've had an outbreak in this facility and we can't figure it out or whatever, and to, to be able to pull from the and have right at our fingertips the clinical expertise of infectious disease specialists, infection control specialists, there again, to, to be able to tap into that, that vast resource of a $6 billion health system has proven to be a huge advantage for us. Great. So just in terms of top priorities going into 2021, what's kind of on your to-do list? You know, consumer confidence, we have to convince the public that our buildings are safe places to be, that, uh, you know, visitation requirements and all those things have all worked against us. They were necessary. We had to do them. But the public doesn't like it, the residents don't like it, and neither do we. Nobody likes it. But that's created this perception that, you know, once you go in, you know, you're isolated and all of those things. 
we've got to get that consumer confidence back. And we're, we're working really hard at that. And I think obviously, you know, things like the vaccine help that along the way. But I think there will be a pent up demand, but I don't think it's going to come back. You know, here's the difference. And again, you know, we, we see kind of both sides of this. We see the, what happens in the acute care side. In the acute care side, they stop elective surgeries and those things. And, and it's not good for a lot of reasons. But now many of them have started doing surgeries again. And when they open up the spigot, those surgeries come right back in. You know, the person that needed their hip done six months ago, they still need it done today, and they go right back in. I think in our business, there's a lag. There's a, it's going to be a lagging indicator. People are not going to rush right back into our doors because in many cases, they don't necessarily have to. They can stay at home or, you know, live with family members for another few months or whatever. And so I don't think... Our spigot is not going to just open up again like you're going to see in some other industries and some other businesses. I think there's going to be a lag while people kind of wait and see, you know, how was what's what's going on in these facilities and are they still having outbreaks? And, you know, I'm just going to bide my time a little bit. And so and that lag, of course, hurts not only us, it hurts the whole industry. I mean, I, I think there's going to be a lot of really hurting organizations out there at the end of for sure at the end of 21, because it's, it's not going to rebound that quick, I don't believe. Yeah, we've been really interested in this question of the pent-up demand because some people, it seems like, are, are counting on it or hoping for it at least. But in terms of just the data showing that it's out there and people are just uh, chomping at the bit to get in, we are struggling to kind of find evidence of that. And I think what you said makes a lot of sense. You know, I hope you do, Tim. And if you yeah. do, you got to let us know. Because I'd, I'd, I'd love for you to report that story that the demand is huge and we're going to we're gonna get right. flooded in a few months. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> do you have any sense of, I guess, one, when we've been investigating this question, one thing we've been wondering and asking is, does it come back faster in a needs-based setting like assisted living because people can't defer that versus kind of a more independent living setting? Or has it been that all throughout the pandemic, people are still moving into assisted living at a little bit higher rate? And so it might be maybe the Delta is a little greater in independent living. I guess, do you have any sense of where occupancy might rebound faster or slower just in terms of the different care levels? Well, you know, that's a, and we've wrestled with that exact same question, you know, mm-hmm. sitting around our mm-hmm. table. And I think you can, you know, I kind of feel like, well, tell me which one you want me to argue, and I think I can make a run at it, because I I don't know. I mean, I think that if you look at it from a, a senior housing, you know, those people are more independent, and just logically, if they want to delay, you'd think they could delay longer. At the same time, uh, you know, I, I think even the pandemic itself, with more and more people working from home, it I think it's actually assisted some families in being able to take care of senior members of their family a little bit easier because if they're working from home, it's a little bit easier to have mom or dad in the house and kind of keep an eye on them and provide basic services that they need. And so maybe that's, you know, pretty easy for them to delay even a move into assisted living. And so I don't know, Tim, I, I think it's all speculation right now. You know, I sit on the, uh, the ACA board, and, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about this very topic around that table. And like I said, I think you can argue, pick your argument and you can make it. I don't think we're going to know for sure until, until we get into this, into 21. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess another follow-up I had was um, uh, just on the vaccine. 
logistics. I think everyone's excited to have the vaccine seemingly on the way, um, but I've heard some people now trying to think through, um, is there going to be any pushback from staff or even residents in terms of being vaccinated? What kind of policies can be in place around that? And just in terms of working with the pharmacy providers to sort of uh, execute on delivering the vaccine. Any thoughts there in terms of just how it's going to work on the ground? Well, first of all, and I've said this to our entire company, if I could get that vaccine today, I'd be the first in line. And I know there's hesitancy and I know there's there's different things. But again, it's pretty well researched. I've talked to we've had sessions on this with our acute care provider friends in Sanford Health. I've watched and looked at some of their materials. I'm totally comfortable taking this vaccine because and largely that's because, the, the yes, there's some risk of the vaccine. So you have some fatigue for a few days and a sore arm. You look at what's going on and what COVID's doing to a large segment of this population, the number of deaths, the number of serious health consequences, I don't think it's even close. So first of all, a a plug for the vaccine. Second of all, frankly, I'm glad uh, the ACA board had a call at Seema Verma's request uh, probably a couple months ago now where she wanted to talk to us about the rollout of the vaccine and the different methodologies to do it. And I was really proud of the organization because to a person, we all said, we will support whatever is the fastest way to roll this vaccine out to seniors. So if that's a private government partnership, if it's the government, whatever is the fastest. And then she talked about the potential at that time, potential CVS Walgreen methodology. I'm really happy with that methodology. I think it it takes out some levels of complexity in terms of you're not dealing with 24 different state agencies. You know, we've We've already established good communications with Walgreens and CVS. I think I think it's a little bit now. I don't want to oversimplify this. I mean, rolling out this vaccine is a is a logistic. You know, it's huge. But I think to narrow it down to Walgreens and CVS and focus it, I think I'm comfortable at this point that I think the rollout is going to go well. Now we'll have bumps in the road and those things, but I'm glad that the rollout in in long term care, senior care is being done the way it is because quite honestly we've seen more on the SNF side but we've seen all the different states come up with different rules different ways of doing things throughout covid different regulations different requirements and frankly it creates a lot of confusion and chaos when you're trying to work and and run a company that that's located has operations in 24 different states so to narrow it down and say CVS and Walgreens this is it this is how we're doing it i'm I'm optimistic about it. I think a lot of really smart people have worked really hard at it. And I think that, again, that's not to say there won't be bumps in the road, but I'm really happy with the way that that it's being set up to roll out to seniors. Great. I guess one other question is, I'm struck again by the benefits that you talked about with being aligned with Sanford, especially during the pandemic. And I think that as I mentioned, this is clearly a trend that we are seeing other health system affiliations or just moves to more closely integrate with health systems and payers. So I guess any words of advice for other organizations that are contemplating this sort of combination, any challenges that they should keep in mind or steps that they could take to maybe learn from some of the lessons that Good Sam went through? Well, and I will tell you, you know, I'll declare my bias because I've been part of a health, an integrated health care delivery system for my, pretty much my entire career. So I'm, 
I'm a believer in systemness and that the more integrated you are, the better off you are. And I think we've seen hard evidence of that in the good Sam Sanford merger. For example, you know, hospitals being full in our in our markets and needing to get discharges out the door as quickly as possible. Because we've got good Sam facilities in or near a lot of those communities, especially in the upper Midwest, the medical centers will tell you how beneficial it's been to have Good Samaritan as a colleague, as somebody that's working for the same company, sitting at the table troubleshooting. We opened up three wings of a of an unused facility in Arthur, North Dakota, in short order, a 24 additional beds just to take discharges out of the Fargo, North Dakota Medical Center. That would have never happened, never happened if we were two separate companies. We wouldn't, Good Sam on its own just wouldn't have been able to have enough confidence that there would, that that would work financially. But being part of an integrated delivery system, we could, we could open up and staff those 24 beds and take discharges because we knew that it was the right thing to do for patients and residents. And it, it helped the flow of patients through the medical centers. So those kind of things, I think that as, as more and more, I believe, long-term care companies start to partner and look at acute care partners, I think we'll see more of that and the benefits are there. And so I think there will be, as we move forward, and somewhat too due to some financial stressors in the industry, I think we will see more M&A activity in 21 and 22. I think, uh, and again, you know, you're, you're hearing from the, the choir on this one because I'm such a believer in it that the best way to provide care is to, is to be part of the same integrated delivery system so you can manage those transitions of care between clinics and hospitals and senior housing and long-term care. You know, I, I believe the best way to do it is on an integrated, an integrated way to do it. So, uh, but I think that activity will pick up. Got it. Great. And then maybe my last question is just on the um, imperative to, I guess, change the narrative a little bit around senior housing and care and quell that consumer fear and instill more confidence. Any thoughts about how to do that? Is it really just through advertising and marketing and hitting the messages that there are safe places to be or any other ways forward you can think to accomplish that goal? Yeah, you know, a lot of it, it, it's what you said. It's getting the word out. And our sales and marketing team are working hard on a campaign to do that. We also, you know, in the, you know, the earned media category, we've been working really, really hard to, to tell those positive stories, you know. So, I mean, especially early on in the pandemic, we saw so many negative stories coming out of long-term care. And to show the positive, I mean, the, the wonderful stories of staff stepping up and the creative ways to connect people because, I mean, the isolation, the depression, those are real things. I mean, that's those are tangible downsides of visitor restrictions and those things. So I think the more you can do to, to communicate, you know, Dr. Greg Johnson, our CMO, is having Facebook Live sessions, you know, for families to ask questions uh, about what's going on in the vaccine or anything else they have on their mind. I think communication has never been more important uh, than it is right now to get our message out and to try to spread that word that, you know, this vaccine is real, it's coming soon, and there, you can have confidence in the safety in our buildings. Great. Um, this is really interesting. Uh, anything we haven't talked about that you wanted to share? I think, well, anytime I get a chance to plug our staff, I mean, I, I think that's the underlying, should be the underlying, the, the, the pinnings of any story in senior housing, long-term care, in anything. 
the heroes that have stepped up and in the face of outbreaks and the virus risk to themselves and their families, they've taken extra shifts. I mean, you name it. It's when we talk about healthcare heroes, I mean, that's a, that's a real story just on its own, the staff and the, and, and how they've stepped up in this pandemic. Great. That is a great note to end on. I think always great to talk to you. Thanks again for taking the time to chat. You bet, Tim, anytime. Thank you. All right. Good luck. Before we conclude this episode, I'd like to again thank our sponsor, Investors Bank. Where can senior living facilities turn for capital in these challenging times? Investors Bank has the expertise and options you look for, like variable rate commercial lines of credit and term loans with flexible terms and competitive interest rates. Visit investorsbank.com forward slash SLL. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. I'm Tim Mullaney. Thanks very much for listening.